um, you can feel the mood shift in the room a little bit. And I think there's good reasons for that because the topic of divorce brings with it a whole truckload of emotions of which nearly all are pretty raw and difficult to process. And add to that the history of the way the church, in general I'm speaking, has either spoken about divorce or cared for people who have gone through divorce. And you can understand why when a preacher gets up and says, we're going to talk about divorce today, that everyone sort of sits there and goes, oh, can we pray again? Because, (laughs) and maybe we should. Um, So I think it'd be really helpful for me, and, and maybe for some of you in the room, this is more important than others, but please let me try and help set some expectations for the next half an hour or so, so you know what's coming, all right? I will not and do not plan to say everything that there is to say about divorce. Um, I won't be addressing divorce and remarriage. I won't be addressing whether divorce is permissible under certain circumstances or not. And I won't be talking about divorce and how it impacts the suitability for leadership in the church. I'm not going to be talking about any of those things. But I do plan on speaking about divorce in the way that God speaks about divorce here in Malachi chapter 2. Okay? Which I think is a very specific way and he has a very specific intent as to why he addresses this topic. I also want to say that if you're listening to this today, whether you're in the room or you're online, and you have experienced personally the grief that comes when a significant relationship that you have invested maybe years into, when that relationship crumbles and breaks down, I want you to know that God has seen you. All right? You are not forgotten by him. And that God still has plans for your life. Okay, so please ask you to keep that in the back of your mind. All right, that's the intro. Um, what What I've called, I know that for those of you who are following along in small groups, and I I sent out a bit of an outline and it's got some sort of basic titles on it. I think I called this um, unreliable to faithfulness. Is that something? Yeah, I changed the topic. Um, the title at least I changed the title I'm going to call this undivided loyalties alright undivided loyalties and if I was going to put a subtitle on it which I have um, I would say rejecting unfaithfulness and pursuing a steadfast love I think that's that's where this passage that we're going to be looking at today is going. So let's read the passage together. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. I'm going to make a few observations about it as we work our way through what I think God might be saying to us today. So let's read Malachi chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 10. We're going to go to verse 16. All right. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? 
Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife, my covenant. Did you not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. And whether we like it or not, that's God's word. All right? So we've got to ask ourselves, if God is the chef, what is he serving up to us today? It's always for our good. What God gives us to give for food is for our good. Even if it's a meal that's difficult to chew on. But I think that you'll see that as we move through this, as we taste and see, we will discover, right, the Lord is good. So I've got uh, just a few observations that I want to go through. Here's the first one. Sorry, before I do that, I keep every, every week for about the last three weeks, I'm sitting down there and I think I must remember to say this when I get up. This is the first time in about four weeks that I've remembered. Um, on the very first week that we started this series, I said, when this series is complete, we're going to have a whole week, which is Q&A. All right? And I asked people, um, as you're going through the series, as we're moving through it, if there are questions that you have... There are things that this sort of brings up for you to say, I'd like to find out a bit more about that. Um, there's, there'll be an opportunity there. So you can write down those questions. You can either submit them online on our website. Just go to our contact page on the church's website and just put in there um, your question. You, hopefully it'll be clear. Or write it on a piece of paper, and some people have already done this, and drop it into the um, offering. I was in like the giving bag. That didn't sound right, but it's the same thing. All right, the offering bag. Just write your, your question. We've already got a few questions that have come through. They're good questions. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to talking about them. Um, I am. I think it'll be great. Um, but some, some good questions have come in already, but please uh, throw your questions in. All right, let's, let's go back to our observations. So Malachi chapter 2, big topic. Divorce. Really, this is about God calling his people to having undivided loyalty. Right? So here's my first thing that I want to sort of hone your attention in onto. And it, it starts right back in the beginning of that passage in verse 10. But I would then give it a title which says, Before we talk about broken relationships, 
Before we talk about broken relationships, let's talk about whole ones for a moment. All right? Because that's what God does. Verse 10, just refresh your memory again. Malachi 2 verse 10. Have we not all one father? There's three questions that this passage starts with, right? Have we not all one father? He doesn't answer that. Explicitly anyway, it's like an implied question. Second question, has not one God created us? Now the answer to both of those implied questions is yes. Short answer, right? So have we not all one father? And all the people that received this, this um, prophecy, the, those in Malachi's time, they would have just gone, well, yeah, of course we have, right? And then has not one God created us? And everyone went, yeah, we get the picture, Malachi. Yes, right? Third question, why then? Why then are we faithless to one another? Profaning the covenant of our fathers. Right. I, I absolutely love that on this subject, as God deals with it, with the, the people in Malachi's time, as the Spirit deals with it, with us, I love that God sets the agenda in this conversation by putting himself forward first. Right? Not as a, an avenging sort of dictatorial type God, but as a father. That's, that's the first picture that we get of God. Now, we're going to get other pictures of God in a moment about how he relates to his people. We're going to get some really great pictures of, of God in a very different type of relational context. But the first thing that we see here is that God puts himself forward and says, listen, I'm, I'm a dad to you guys. I'm a father. And he asks them to think about the oneness that they experience in that relationship. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? We, we, we're drawn here at the beginning of a subject matter which is talking about things breaking apart to actually consider the oneness that we experience in God. So we have one Father and one God that creates us, which then brings this third question, which basically says, so, so why would we, if that was the case... Why would we be faithless to one another? If, if, if the, the default position that we have is wholeness, oneness, then what's happening as we start to tear things apart? Right from the outset, God is establishing the much-needed perspective of wholeness and why that's so important. Right? The inferred answers of of course, for all those three opening questions spring from the reality that there is more than just one relationship at stake here. It's not just husbands and wives that he's talking about. And that's going to set the perspective for the rest of this passage. We're not just talking about husbands and wives when we talk about divorce. There is a spiritual wholeness that God is concerned about amongst his people. That's what's at stake here. There's a, a spiritual wholeness that needs to exist, not only between a husband and a wife, but between humanity and God. That's, that's on the line in this passage. You see, when human relationships rupture, it tears more than we realize. 
Because marriage is meant to illustrate something significant, not just about our horizontal relationships, but it's meant to illustrate something significant about the Father. Marriage is like this living billboard, not just to how well we've got things together. Like you hear these interviews all the time, right? Someone gets to uh, uh, the ripe old marriage age of like 20 or something in today's world, and they're like, wow, what's the secret? You know, it used to be that we'd ask people who'd been married 60 years that. What's the secret, you know? But, but whatever the cultural sort of understanding of a long marriage is, we start asking them the sec- the, what's the secret? You know? And you'll hear all sorts of things. I heard one lady once, she was, she'd been married 70 years. Amazing. 70 years, and her husband was completely deaf. <laughs> and she said, the secret is, don't change his hearing aid batteries over. <laughs> and he nodded. Marriage says a lot more than just about our ability to stick with another person. Marriage is meant to point to something amazing about the character of God, right? And, and God sets that forward right at the outset. So that's the first observation. Before we, we talk about things rupturing, let's talk about wholeness, all right? Second thing I want to draw your attention to, verse 11 and verse 12 is where you'll sort of find this. So have a look at that. But really the, the principle at stake here is that earthly, that these are earthly shadows with heavenly substance. This is what's going on here. Okay, So let's just read verse 11 and verse 12 again and you'll start to pick that up and I'll point it out as we go. As soon as God begins with these sort of questions of his people, he then switches to verse 11. Judah has been faithless. Right? There's the underlying Action that's taken place that God is reacting to. Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. I think he's talking about exactly the same thing there. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. And then God pronounces, so this covenantal curse um, that goes back to what we spoke about the other day about the covenants may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts right God didn't really God doesn't really directly answer the question of why the people had been faithless that's what he asked in the opening verse right verse 10 why then, he said, why then have the people been faithless? He doesn't really answer why, but he certainly clearly says how they have been faithless. Right? Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now underline that because that's important. You see, the most consistent illustration throughout the entire Bible of God's relationship with his people is the concept of marriage. Now, I'm not talking about teaching on how we get married to one another in a human context, but this is the, the image that the Bible, that God puts forward about himself. This is the most consistent image about how God relates to his people, and he uses the concept of marriage to do that. 
God compares his love for Israel like that of a husband towards a wife. And the covenant that they have together, this covenant of promise that God has set up, is very similar, he says, to the sorts of covenant promises that happen when a man and a woman stand before a crowd, and we've been plenty of weddings in this building and other ones, you've seen them, they make vows to one another, right? And sometimes they're the formal written vows, and sometimes they they like to write their own vows. But either way, a man and a woman stand up in front of a group of people and they say, we're going to make these promises to one another. Before our friends and family and in a Christian marriage, they're saying, we're going to make these promises to each other before God. And God uses that illustration and he says, that's what it's been like for me. I'm going to make promises. I'm going to make covenant agreements between myself and my people. So that's the illustration that God's putting forward. It shouldn't surprise us, but it is good to make special note of it, I think, that God accuses Judah. God accuses Judah here of infidelity towards himself. Right? The issue is, and we're going to get to this pretty clearly soon, but the men in Judah were divorcing their wives and marrying women from the nations that they were neighbours with, nations that were not followers of God at all. So the men of Judah basically were just sort of going, you know, like, I'm, I'm married, but I, I'm just going to abandon my wife. I'm going to take up another wife from the nations around me. And God could have made that accusation against them very simply because that's what they were doing. But do you notice that what God does when he describes it, he says that they've married the daughter of another God. Right? This is driving it beyond just what's happening at a human level. And God's saying, Judy, you've, you've been unfaithful to me. Not just you've been unfaithful to your wives, You've been unfaithful to me. As the men of Israel abandoned their wives for women from the surrounding nations, Judah was actually cheating on God with other gods. Judah was in a a covenantal relationship with their God, Yahweh, which we heard about this morning. They're in this marriage relationship with him. And what they were actually doing as they were pursuing these other relationships, human relationships, God was saying, it's not just human relationships at a stake here. You're cheating on me. All right? Earthly relationships have always been about more than shows on the surface. It's always been like that. As As important as they are, Marriages are earthly shadows with heavenly substance. Right, we, we would go to the New Testament and, and fill this out a little bit more. Let me read to you from Paul's writing on this matter in Ephesians 5, just a couple of verses. Ephesians 5.31 says there, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A lot of us know that. That little concept and that verse. Verse 32, though, is the important one here. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
Right? So Paul looks at marriage and he says it's important. Men act like this. Women act like this. Join together. It's so important. But then he says, but hey, there's a mystery about this because I'm actually talking about God's love for his people. I'm not talking about marriage at all, really. Right? Paul's teaching is on marriage, right? Undoubtedly. But even here, he's saying that marriage is a mystery. And all the people said, amen. All of you are married anyway. Right? Not because, it's not a mystery because we can't understand it. Although most of us go through marriage going, man, this is mysterious, right? Marriage. It's, it's sometimes really hard and sometimes it's the most, it is always the most amazing thing. But, but it's not a mystery because we can't understand it. It's a mystery because it proclaims something more than itself. That's what the mystery is. It demonstrates and teaches the watching world about something of greater spiritual substance than just two people who are exchanging rings and then sharing a bed together. It tells people about the gospel. It tells people about how much God would go to, what lengths he would run to, to redeem and rescue his bride. Marriage proclaims good news about how Jesus loves his church. And the point here in this passage is that when we pursue faithless marriages, we misrepresent God's character to the world. That's, that's God's accusation against the people in Malachi's time. Malachi connects the, the horizontal and the vertical dimensions of our relationships within the sphere of sort of the desired holiness of God's covenant promise. All right, third observation though. Let's keep moving along. It all, it all sort of just builds on each other as we go through this passage. Now, the third observation here is found from verse 13 and verse 14 in Malachi chapter 2. And I would say this is about sort of false worship from faithless hearts. False worship from faithless hearts. Let's read it, verse 13, to refresh our memory. Malachi says, this second thing you do, as if the first wasn't enough, this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favour from your hands. And you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Right, here's the issue that we see going on here. Judah wants to keep up the appearance of a pious life, right? A religiously devout life. And even though they were willing to abandon their wives, who were, God says, their covenantal companions. I love that term for marriage. A covenantal companion. Right? They were willing to abandon their wives for the cheap thrill of illicit relationships with the women from the surrounding nations. Even though Judah was willing to be doing that, they were still trying to keep one foot in the door of the temple. Right? They were jumping in and out of bed with whomever they wanted and then trotted off to temple each week and cried when God wouldn't receive their worship. That's what, that's what the, the second thing that they were doing is being described as here. 
You see, the issue is not about mixed marriages. It's just not that. Right, God wasn't and isn't concerned with racial purity and bloodlines, okay? Not on the agenda. God has always and will always be concerned with undivided loyalties, though. And that was the big problem with the men of Judah abandoning their wives for the, remember, daughters of foreign gods. These new relationships came with strings attached. New gods to appease. New gods to worship. New loyalties to lay a foundation for. The price of lust always runs much deeper than we realise. Fourth thing I want you to notice from this passage, Micah 2 verse 15 down to verse 16. God continues by saying, did he not make them one? Talking about these covenantal companion marriages that were taking place in Judah Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. When a woman and a man are married before God, God blessed their union as they demonstrate the sort of oneness of God as he relates to humanity. And Malachi says that God inserts into that relationship a portion of his spirit. I hope whatever translation you're reading, if it says spirit there, has a capital S. Does it? It should. It's a direct reference to the Holy Spirit. A part of who God is, is inserted into these covenantal marriages. That is a profound concept. An absolutely astounding thing, right? That these marriages were spirit-infused. They were containers in which God lived. And it's the perfect environment for the knowledge of God's love for humanity to pass on from one generation to the next. That's what that passage says. What was God desiring? The knowledge of who he is and his wholeness being passed down from one generation to another. That's what God desired. A marriage like that is precious gold, right? It's it's a gem. It's a priceless treasure. It's, It's beautiful gold. But what had Judah done? What had Judah done? Right, Judah was discarding gold to gather dung. That's what Judah was doing. And that's the last observation on this passage that I want you to, to see. Judah was discarding gold to gather dung. Remember, that's, the, that's the, the mental picture that God gave them back at the beginning of chapter 2. That the people of Israel were coming towards him and their offerings smelt like sewerage. That's what God told them. Their worship stunk. And part of the reason was this. Judah was discarding gold to gather dung. 
So out of the context of these sort of faithless relationships, Judah's offerings of worship were little more than the overflow of a false heart. They smelt like sewerage in the nostrils of God. Judah was throwing away the gift that they had, right? This sort of gold, Holy Spirit-infused marriage. And they just wanted to gather for themselves the dung of the cheap thrills that carried a very high price. I want to draw your attention, though, as we sort of make a slight shift from this passage to just one phrase, though. It says, so guard yourself in your spirit. Did you see that? It was repeated twice in that last passage we just read. So guard yourself in your spirit. And sort of as a way of application, really, I wanted to pause here before we finish and highlight, I think, something which is extremely important. It struck me as I was preparing. You see it in both verse 15, verse 16, if you look them up. How does God apply his warning to Judah? Because all of this has been a warning so far to Judah. How does God apply it? What does he say they should do? And oftentimes, you know, rightful criticism of sermons is, oh, it didn't really have much application in it. What didn't, the preacher didn't tell us what we had to do. Well, here God tells the people, this is what I want you to do. Here's the answer. Verse 16, verse 15, you see it, and here's the phrase. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. There's the whole application for this. The short answer is, guard yourself, God says. And secondly, stop being faithless. In particular, though, I want to draw your attention to what it is that we are especially called to guard. What does it say? Guard your what? All right. Guard your spirit, guard your hearts and minds, guard... It's interesting. It's not that the Bible doesn't say that we should take practical steps to guard ourselves from lust or unfaithfulness. For example, Proverbs is filled with practical exhortations to beware the temptress or watch where our feet lead us or shut our ears to the tempter who calls us to share their bed. Proverbs is filled with practical exhortations to things that we can do like that. But here, God tells us to guard, to set a guard on our spirit. Here's what I think that means. It's quite possible this morning, as we sit here talking about this, that you're thinking to yourself, well, this is all very informative, Chris, but it doesn't apply to me. Why? Well, I've never been unfaithful to my wife or to my husband. All right? Which is exactly what the good living folks of Jesus' day thought as well. To which Jesus responded in Matthew 5, 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And there was a bunch of people in the room that day that I think called out, amen. Preach it. And Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. And he's committed adultery with her in his heart. Because God's standard of righteousness is a great leveller. God's standard of righteousness is a great leveller. You may, you may, be one of the very few people in this room 
who has not struggled and battled against pornography. Statistically, there will be very few people in this room who haven't. Or you may be one of the very few people who have entertained illicit sexual fantasies. But Jesus said that even a look that carries with it lustful intent reveals something dark about the human condition. You see, to some degree or another, we are all adulterers. That's what Jesus was trying to get across. So I think when Malachi says, guard our spirit, it's helping us to get to the root of the problem. The better question that we need to ask ourselves this morning isn't, do I struggle with faithlessness? It's, why do I struggle with faithlessness? Because more often than not, adultery is a symptom of idolatry. We need to ask our spirit, why am I running towards this dung? Why? And maybe we need to even ask ourselves, what am I running from? So by all means, don't hear me say something I'm trying not to hear. By all means, I think, it is a very wise thing to install good internet filters. It is a very wise thing to develop healthy accountability partners. It is a very good conversation to have with your spouse about how and who you'll meet up with in your friendships, especially of those of the opposite gender. That's a good conversation to have. They're all good things and there's a whole lot more that can be done. But guarding your spirit is committing to doing the hard work of digging even deeper than that. Guarding your spirit means still time before the Lord. Guarding your spirit means a willingness to face the, the ugly and hidden parts of our own selves that we desperately want to keep secret from everybody else. <laughs> Guarding our spirit means talking through these issues with a trusted Christian counsellor. And there's more that could be done and said about guarding our spirit, guarding our hearts, guarding our minds in these things, right? Okay, let's, let's wrap it up. Because if that's all it is, then I think this message is sort of like, oh, Chris, you're right. right? This meal from the Lord is difficult to swallow. It seems heavy. But there is hope for the hurting in this, all right? It's the last thing I want you to hear. And I want you to hear about God's faithful love for faithless people. Maybe you're listening today. Maybe you are listening today and you've experienced the grief of a relationship broken by faithlessness. That's something personal for you right now. Maybe... You were the one who was left behind. It's also quite possible that we've got people listening in the room today that maybe you were the one who walked away. Maybe you're listening today and you feel the 
piercing sort of pang of shame that just strikes blow after blow against your spirit because you are fighting a hidden battle with lust. And maybe you're listening today with a very brave face painted on, but inside you are hunched over and exhausted by the crushing weight of hurt that you've experienced. Then if that's you, then I want you to know this, that our hope rests in God's faithfulness, which always trumps our unfaithfulness. Israel was an unfaithful wife to God. They regularly, regularly strayed from their covenant and their promise with him. If we were to think about God's relationship with his people, Israel, and we were to think about it in the terms that God sets out, that he is a husband to them and they are his wife, they cheated on God every moment they could. If any wife deserved to be divorced and abandoned, it was Israel. And yet, God pursued his wandering bride and time after time wooed her back to himself. If you want to go back and reread, we did a series on this a couple of years ago. It was heavy going, I know, but we went through the book of Hosea. Do you remember that? And it was this picture of time after time after time of how God redeemed and wooed back his unfaithful bride. Jesus himself is our great bridegroom who pursued his people at great personal cost. That passage I read from Ephesians 5 earlier, husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Even here in God's rebuke of his people through Malachi, he still calls them his treasured possession. You have to flick forward to chapter 3, verse 17 to see that. But this faithless bride of his who was cheating on him, that was pursuing these daughters of other gods. In chapter 3, verse 17, God says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Malachi's warnings are severe, no doubt. But it is appropriate, I think, to read them within the larger context of Scripture. Right? The New Testament clarifies the greater spiritual mystery human marriage symbolizes Christ's marriage to his church. But unlike human marriages, right? Unlike human husbands even, Jesus Christ is perfectly faithful to his bride. Christ's perfect marriage to his church creates a context of grace within which I think reconciliation can be found. Because God is faithful even when we are not. And Reuben already read the passage out to us, but 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, 
He remains faithful. Amen to that. Let me read it again. And there should be a chorus of 150 hallelujahs, right? If we are faithless. Now, just pause for a moment. That if, that carries a lot of weight. If we are faithless. I doubt there's a person in this room who can't say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. If we are faithful, if we are faithless, if you are faithless this morning, know this about God. He remains faithful. All right. Why? The verse tells us because he can't deny himself. That's who he is. That's his character. If you were to say, what is God like? God is love. That's that's. First one, yep, good. What's the next one? What's the thing that you would describe God like to someone? He's faithful. He's faithful, right? That's his character. He can't deny his own character. All right. So let's finish. Guard your spirit. Guard your spirit. Do practical things, yes, but dig deeper. Guard your spirit. Two, don't be faithless. That's what God says this morning. Don't be faithless. Third, hold on in hope. <clears throat> hold on in hope. Because God will not abandon his bride. Let's pray. Maybe as we're praying this morning, there's something that you feel a burden in your own spirit about to come before the Lord. And take this opportunity to come to him. He knows. But he desires his people to simply call out to him. He wants his people to be able to call out to him as both a father but as a loving husband. So call out to him in the own quiet spaces of your heart and bring to him whatever it is that the Spirit has laid a weight on in your heart this morning. And know that God is faithful even when, maybe even especially so, as we admit and come to terms with our own faithlessness. I'm going to give you a couple of moments to do that quietly.